It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday october 21st and you're listening to episode 386 today i'm joined by julio how's it going julio doing good doing good how about yourself jason very well very well awesome man awesome how's this last month treating you oh the last month's been pretty good so i've been doing a doing a lot of work um yeah getting a lot of stuff done really is what i've been doing and uh yeah working on some new projects some old projects um i finally yeah go ahead no no i heard uh uh, the podcast with neil sounds like you've been busy 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 we have been very busy that is that is the truth um but i'm excited because i can finally answer the question what you've been playing so oh. I uh, I went to KenCon last weekend. KenCon is uh, an event held by my friend Ken Franklin. Uh, he's a game designer, and uh, it was his birthday, and so he does big game nights uh, out at his house. But this was his birthday, and he do- he calls it KenCon, and his wife uh, hosts <laughs> this big thing for him, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Tons of people there. Not self serving at all. No, 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 no. But he uh, <laughs> but he does uh, collect uh, food and uh, non-perishable food items. So that's exciting. So we, yeah, we did a nice. big collection for that. Collected like more than twice as much than he did last year. So that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, so games, though, I got to play several games. Uh, I played uh, Machi Koro for the first time, which I have wanted to play. I actually own it. I got it for Father's Day and hadn't had a chance to play it, um, and I really liked it. It was a lot of fun, so I'm stoked that I got to learn how to play that. Uh, also new, I played The Grim Forest, um, which was pretty cool, too. Uh, it had some interesting mechanics in it. Um, it's it's pretty stressful, I felt like. I don't know that it's supposed to be, but I found it really stressful. I don't. Have you played that? I haven't, but I guess it goes with the name, right? I yeah. Mean, Grim is kind of stressful, right? So why so, not? So the theme, though, like like when you see the artwork and stuff, it feels very light and fun. Um, but basically, you're trying to build three houses. Uh, you can build them out of brick, out of straw, and out of wood. Um, of course. Yeah, right? And, uh, and it doesn't really matter what you build unless there's a tie, and then uh, it matters because uh, the stronger houses will prevail in, in the event of a tie. And we came within like one move of there being a tie at the end of the game. So that was a reality that could happen. Um, hmm. But it, it has this interesting mechanic where you're doing worker placements, um, but it's simultaneous play worker placement. So, Ooh, you know, you I can like accidentally, those. yeah. And if you go to the same place, you have to split. And um, it was like games like that, where I have to attempt to predict what someone else is doing. Um, with limited information, especially in that, like where there wasn't usually an obvious choice. So like, I'd be like, I'll pick this because this is the worst choice. And then like two other people would pick it. And I was like, well, but this is the worst choice. Like, like why are you picking this too and ruining it for all of us? Um, so yeah, it was, but that said it was fun. It was just very stressful. Like in, you get these friends that help you, but then whenever somebody gets a new friend, they can they have to either get rid of theirs or give the friend to you. And if they give it to you, you have to take it. 
So you'll have like hmm. a good friend who's helping you do stuff and then boom, you have to drop them for a new one that usually is less than ideal because the person didn't want it, right? Um, yeah. That said, it's very balanced because if I get somebody really powerful, then the second somebody gets something less powerful, they're going to they're gonna pawn that off on me, right? So... Um, so it's you know it it does it does make sense, um, but it was it was stressful. But I had a good time playing it. Um, and then, and if you think of it, if you think of it uh, as a design, you know, so this is another question uh, designers are asking: What kind of emotion do I want players to have? And and that may be one of the emotions that the designer intended you to have. Yeah, I, and if they out. did, good work because you got me. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe it's just you. That's just yeah. Jason. It could oh, be. It could just play. be me. Um, and then I got to play. Uh, I got to show some people how to play uh, Into the Black Forest, which was exciting. And, um, and they were like, "Oh, the Green Forest is going to be as awesome as that." And then they were disappointed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> actually, did play that with the same people. So, um, and then they also <laughs> they saw Water Balloon Washout because Ken had a copy there. My first game. Like, can we play this? And I said, "Yeah, sure." So I taught him how to play it. <laughs> As soon as we got done, they said, can we play it again? I said, yeah. And then they said, oh. hey, where do we, where can we buy this? And I said, well, I actually have copies in my car because I, like, I always keep a couple <laughs> copies of every game that I have. Uh, all, all, all warped with, uh, with the heat. Yeah, right? So they, uh, <laughs> um, they were like, hey, no, they are not warped with the heat. I put them in the back under a thing that keeps them from getting hot. Uh, but uh, okay. yeah, they were like, uh, you know, can we, can we buy a couple copies of it? So uh, yeah, so I sold them a couple copies That's of That's awesome. Yeah, my supply on that is dwindling, ever dwindling, but uh, you know, it's uh it's pretty cool. So so yeah, that was really fun. And uh, it was fun. Actually, I haven't played that game in quite a while. Uh so that was fun to uh to did play. Did you have to game. reference the rules? What'd you say? Did I have to reference the rules? Did I I did not. Um okay. I do know the rules good, well man. enough to not have to do it. For for like <laughs> Unreal Estate though, I've had to reference the rules more than once when somebody's asked me a question. I'm like, uh, let me look. So wow. yeah. Yeah. So anything else? Um, no, that's everything we played. Yeah, yeah. You played anything lately? Yeah, I got my Kickstarter copy of um, Parks. Um, as you know, I work for the Forest Service, so it's national forest, not national parks, but it's right, you know, adjacent. Right. I, I live next to the Smoky Mountains National Park, basically, and, and it's a really good game and the production value on it is awesome and and it's a fun game it's kind of like a little work it's like a co worker placement but kind of um not um tokaido type deal where you have a track right, and you're moving right. ever so forward kind of like that and between four seasons and it's, it's a fun game and it's beautiful i mean keymaster games did a fantastic job on that one um and and just kind of I had some some family from Puerto Rico come, my wife's uh, parents, my in-laws, and we just traveled a lot, just going places, visiting, you know, tourist touristing. Um, yeah, yeah. And a little design here and there. Uh, been working awesome. on a on a card-only design that I've been working for a couple of months. It's a simple one, but it's coming together really well. Uh, what else? Oh, uh, the one thing I didn't say last time I was in, uh, the I, I, I had submitted a game to the Korea Board Games Design Contest, and uh, I got second place on that, so that was cool. Awesome. Congratulations. That's very cool. Yeah, and it's one of those contests that if you are, if you do place, you get, I mean, uh, 
as second place, you get 500 bucks. So that's <laughs> hey, you know. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of sucks in the sense where if you don't get first place, you won't get published, and there's no way of pitching the game because in this one specifically, you had to use the game uh, coconuts that they published mm-hmm. as a as a yep. anchor point for your design. So I can't really use my design and and pitch it somewhere else. Maybe I can make some changes, but it's it's definitely hard. Yeah, yeah, I can see a, why that it, would be the, tough. Yeah, and the worst thing is that it's a fun game. So <laughs> uh, it, it sucks, but I'll have it. You know, if, whenever I have company over, people will enjoy playing it, and I think that's that's good. That's good enough for me. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, speaking of contests, I actually entered a contest. I, I, I have no idea what the results are. I actually don't even know when I find out what the results are. Uh, I entered a contest called the Golden Cobra Contest, um, which is a uh, it is a freeform LARP writing contest. Um, huh. And I've never written an RPG. I've never written a LARP before. Uh, but having worked with Banana Chan on some stuff, uh, I saw it pop up and I was interested. So I, I reached out to her and was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Like... Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a judge. And I was like, oh, OK, well, then we're done talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so fortunately, uh, I got Neil to read it for me. And so the good news was it, it only had to be four. It, it was four pages. That's all they'll read. So you could do more than that, but they're only going to read the first four pages. So to me, that was like, all right, I'm going to write a one shot adventure. It will be four pages or less. Um, and uh, so I was really happy to do that. I had Neil read it. I had um, um uh, Doug Lewandowski read it, um, which was really awesome because he gave some really cool feedback and ideas. Um, and then uh, I also had um, Nate Darty read it, and he gave me uh, a, a lot of confidence because he read it and he was like, "This is like this is really good. Like I'm really I really like this." And you know, Nate's a big RPGer, so that made me feel real solid. Uh, but then he also gave me some really good critical feedback on how to make it even better, and so so I'm really happy. Uh, I'm not expecting to win at all, um, but I, it's cool. You because can't think like that, Jason. No, no. I mean, you got to be like, I, I want, I got, I'm going to win. I'm in it for the experience because with this one, it gets published uh, to their, like to their online uh, repository, no matter what. So it, it's, it's getting published. It's a published, you know, to be a published game uh, that I very yeah. well may not get paid anything for uh, or win anything <laughs> for, but I don't care. You know, I'm just excited to have it out there. Uh, what I'm aiming for though is, the two categories that I entered, because you have, when you enter, you actually have to pick categories. I picked um, best use of silence uh, or nonverbal communication because the entire game is played in silence. And whenever somebody makes a noise, um, you're penalized. And that will eventually draw the end of the game. Like, that'll make the end of the game happen. Um, nice. And, uh, and then uh, I also did best game for new LARPers because I figured I've never LARPed before. <laughs> and I wrote this, so sure. <laughs> uh, so we'll it's see. It's kind of like I, I guess uh, Kenitia does that sometimes. And see, see that I, you know, I listen to some podcast where he's on, and he says, "I don't, I don't play games. So if I want to make a, a worker placement game, you know, when he started, how, what would a worker placement game be? And you kind of just think outside the box that way, I guess. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so anyways, Hey, I could, you know, I could get an honorable mention something that'd be awesome, but, uh, you know, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Um, but I'm proud of what I did and I'm just, uh, I'm, it was, I, it was a chance for me to enter a contest and kind of work outside of what I normally do and try and kind of expand my horizons. And that was the main goal of that. So if nothing else happens, 
achieved like happy about that yeah yeah and just whenever they post it just make sure to share it so the builders can can try it out and give yeah. you some more feedback maybe make it better that way yeah once the contest is over and it's out there and published i'll uh, i'll put it on my uh my website um yourturncoach.com i actually created a games page because some of the coaching stuff mm-hmm. i do i involve games within that um so i started a page with all my published designs out there so that people could check them out and uh, that'll just be an ever-growing list of different games that I've worked on. So, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a thing that I've been thinking about. Uh, start, you know, making a, a website to have whatever games I've, I'm currently working on or pitching. Because it's getting to the point where I have a lot of games that are a good pitchable state. But having, I guess doing all the research for the publishers that fit each game, it's taking a lot more time now. Uh, and so I think having all that information where some, you know, if, if people are interested, because I have had right. some approaches of, of publishers interested and if something like that ever happens again, I could just, Hey, here's, here's my page. And I could have them maybe by uh, player count, have different filters on my games. Cause at this point I've got, I don't know, like 12 or 13 games that I'm pitching. So right, right. just kind of something to help out throughout this whole process and also put in the designs that as they come out the my published designs which brings up to another point that today i saw an early prototype of holy the color festival that is coming from floodgate games excellent it's looking pretty fantastic um that's great i am allowed to share that uh the the as of so far the the publisher is thinking of uh, going to Kickstarter, I guess. Well, he didn't say specifically Kickstarter. He said crowdfunding um, early next year around the Holy Festival, which is March or so. So I'll keep you all updated on that. Updated Excellent. On that. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure the builders are aware of that so they can get out there and back it. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely going to be a, a beautiful game i mean the vincent the traits doing the artwork on that one and that's pretty cool for you know my first yeah. design to have yeah. somebody that's known and send do that yeah. art that's cool vincent does some amazing work so that's awesome okay so right. you think we're we're ready for for a topic i think we are ready for a topic okay so the topic for tonight is and i'm always trying to bring something that you don't really hear a lot about and this one may be a little controversial so we'll definitely want the the listeners to chime in when the episode comes out and it's blind place that blind play testing is it really necessary for designers question mark right and that is a good topic Uh, i don't i don't know that we've ever talked about this on the show officially as a topic because it's something rob and i haven't done much of so yeah yeah, and that and that's the thing, and that's exactly why I bring it up because personally, I've tried out blind play testing maybe once, and it didn't work out, um, and I haven't really done it much because personally, again, I don't think it's necessary as a designer that's looking to pitch to publishers, um, and and let me elaborate on this. So the way I see blind play testing as a useful um, process is to test your rule book um, because blind play testing is just you're not involved and people are testing your game based on the rules that you wrote um, and I know blind play testing is done a lot for publishers when they are testing 
their games. They send it prototype to people and and they do blind play testing. Um, and but as a designer, I never really um, felt like I needed to do blind play testing on my games. It's not like I'm the best rule books writer. Of course, a lot of my games are on the simpler side, so my rules are not that extensive, and they are usually pretty easy to to make. And um, I do already have like a format for rules since I made so many rule books. I just kind of start changing information, and and I keep the same format and just change the information based on the game, of course. But as a designer, also I hate blind play testing other people's games because <laughs> when you want to play test other people's games you want to learn fast and get to playing to analyze the game mechanisms and anything related to the game i don't want to spend time reading a rule book and trying to figure out what the designer's intent on these words mean which again it's right. fine it's not i don't want to be like oh he he doesn't want to help out of course i want to help out but when i go to places like unpub packs unplugged origins and somebody asks to blind play test the game i'm like oh man and i don't know what you think on that part but it, it is it takes a lot of time and i think it the designer can get useful feedback but i don't think the feedback that he gets from seeing a blind play test it's as useful i guess well, not, not a, that's not the way, best way to say it. I guess let's just put a number on it. I won't say it's 50% more useful than feedback from just playtesting a game. And again, based on if he is looking to self-publish, check out his rulebook. Because, of course, if you have a pretty extensive game and you want to pitch your game to publishers, you, you want to have a good rulebook, right? So that's definitely a, a good way to do it. But at the same time, if you know people... And I think people sometimes would be more liable to help if you just ask them, "Hey, here's my rule book. Can you read through it and see what what you're in, what you think of it?" Of course, having a, a game that goes with that rule book can help a lot more. But anyway, I'm gonna let you talk for a bit and know your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I um I very rarely have ever used blind playtesting. Um, I would be most inclined to use it if I was going to self-publish something and then I would definitely use it um, only yeah. because you want, you know, um, I, I did a blind play test one time for Peter Hayward and I think I've talked about it on the show and like, you know, he, he, first of all, we sat down, he said, will you play test my game? And we go, oh, I would love to, you know, and we sat down and then he said, well, it's a blind <laughs> play test, but I'm going to watch. And he gave me the rules and I was immediately like, no, 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 no. Somebody else do this part. Like, this is not my strong suit. Like, I'm going to screw this up. Um, yeah. And I don't like... I don't enjoy reading rule books. Like I enjoy like learning how to play games mostly from playing with others. Um, yeah, so and, like, and same here or right, watching a video or something. Right. So I'm a terrible blind play tester for the record. If I know nothing about the game, if I know something about the game, that that's a little easier. But um, for me, um, I, so I have different, like, well, I have different people who will play my games and who will read my rule books. And they're generally not the same people. The, the only person that is that crosses that bridge is is Neil. And that's because yeah. Neil is able to um, give really good rules feedback from a rule book perspective. And he's able to give really good feedback as a play tester. Those feedback pieces are always completely opposite end of the spectrum, right? Reading the rule book is about do you understand the game? Uh, playing the game is, you know, what works and what doesn't. 
blind playtest is an attempt to merge those two things. And again, for publishers, absolutely, they should be doing that. Um, yeah. And I can tell you, I certainly have played games where I'm confident that they didn't do that. Um, but do remember <laughs> that the leg up the publisher has is if they bought that game from a designer, they already did some blind play testing, right? You pitched the yeah. game to them. Maybe you walked them through a couple rounds, but they had to sit down and read the rules and learn and really learn how to play it. Um, yeah. So they did that for you. And, and here's the other thing. A lot of the people that I have to play test my games outside of um, if we go to a con and I get, you know, people like you guys to do it, right? Actual designers. It's generally people who don't play a ton of games, right? Oh, I play board games now and then. So they are the worst crowd for me a lot of times for my games to blind play test it, right? Yeah. Like I need feedback. I need to see if they have fun. I don't need to be bogged down by the fact that they were confused by my rules, right? Um, so <laughs> of I'm, course, you need to bring your rule book up to a certain standard, Jason, because well, there's only yeah. so much they can decipher, right? Right. But I mean, when it comes to a point where like if the publisher can understand it, you know, um, yeah. and, and that's the thing, like when you think about explaining stuff, think about when you've tried to explain a game to someone who doesn't play games very often and how like, well, I don't get that. I don't understand this, right? And when you're pitching to a publisher who really gets it and you start to explain it like, oh, yeah, boom, 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 boom. That makes sense. I got that, right? Um, I love that because, you know, that just tells you that they get it, first of all. But it also is um, – it's just – it's helpful. Um, yeah, and, and in one sense, I mean, I, I, I say that I haven't done blind play testing, but really I have because I have given a lot of games to publishers and they have – tested my game based on the rules and that's an interesting thing because the problem with that is that they don't give you feedback on how how good uh your the rules understanding was so maybe they played the game and and they i mean they maybe they give you a rejection maybe it's based on a, a, a bad rule that they read and they couldn't play the game the way it was supposed to um and you don't know that that's the problem right yeah that is certainly a problem because the reason I brought this this topic was because in a lot of podcasts and videos about game design, they list blind playtesting as a you know one of the four or I don't know four or five pillars of designing, and I don't know if that's really the case. Uh, again, it, it is something that I have tried. Um, one time I, I asked somebody, Hey, I'm, I'm, and this is when my, when I was newer, this was actually for the world tree. Um, that that's all holy. Now, uh, I gave it to a guy that was part of the game design group that I was at, at in Tennessee. And he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll test it. And I'll let you know. Um, and he had the game for a month and a half and he didn't test it again. It, it, and this goes to show you that if you want to blind play test the game, you gotta uh, give and and take. You know, so so if if you think you want to blind play test the game, then maybe you should blind play test the game right. of the person that's doing the same I think thing so. for you. It's a good exchange. One thing here with one part of the since I'm part of the game designers in North Carolina, that's one thing that we haven't uh, done. But we plan on doing since we have different chapters. You know, I'm in Asheville. There's a Charlotte one. There's the main one in Durham where, you know, Joshua J. Johnson Mills is. Um, 
that you know if they want to blind play test their game then they'll send it here and we'll send one of ours there and and we get some you know good uh i guess something out of it and and from people that know more or less what game design is right hopefully uh but at the same time again i haven't seen as much of a return when it comes to blind yeah, I, play I, I totally agree um i i feel like maybe it's kind of this old school mentality that it's like one of the pillars of design um but again, I mean, who's who's saying that? Who's saying it's one of the pillars of design? Is it Jamie Stegmeyer? Because for him, it probably is because he's a big publisher, right? I mean, that sounds like something he would say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, it sounds like <laughs> advice he would give. But I mean, of the well, but he's also yeah, and a it's working so for him, obviously, right? Much should be doing that. But what I'm like yeah. of the designers that I've worked with, the designers that I know. I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard them say, I need to blind playtest this game. Like, that's just not... And I've never had publishers... Yeah. I can't think of one time when a publisher said, did you blind playtest this game? Right? Um, and it's... Yeah, and it's also it's also a, pro, well, a problem of, of resources. Because, you know, having resources when it comes to getting prototypes made... And playtesting your game, that's a resource as well. You know, having access to people that want to playtest unfinished games. Uh, but then having a resource of people willing to test your game without you being there, that's right. that's a higher level of resource when it comes to people. And that's why some there are some people that offer that as right. a service, blind playtesting as a service. Which, you know, definitely an untapped market in some case, which, you know, oh, game design doesn't really pay that much as new designers. So blind playtesting, I don't know how much that would. No, I think if you're going to hire a blind playtester, you better be self-publishing that game because otherwise you're wasting your money, in my opinion. I mean, unless you literally have no one to playtest your games, in which case then that's a smart move. Um, But yeah, I would never spend money on that ever that wouldn't even cross my mind as something to spend money on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, going back to the whole, do what you like to do. And if you don't like <laughs> to do blind play tests, how can you make other right, people not right. make, but expect other people? I don't, I don't to know. Blind though, play test because like, game, right. I don't like reading people's rules, but Neil and some other friends love reading rules. So I let them read my rules and they gladly give feedback knowing that I'll never return that favor for them because, and they don't want me to. Well, that's, but that, that, I guess that's friendship and friendship is another matter. And I would actually be like (laughs) for someone like Neil, I, and he's been hired by people before I would pay him if we weren't just friends who work together and stuff, I would hire him to read my rules to get them ready for publishers because Neil, I know you're Neil. I know you're listening. (laughs) So take advantage of this right now. He's, he's, he's actually had paying gigs rewriting (laughs) rules for publishers. So, um, he knows what he's doing. Um, nice. Here's a suggestion though. If you, if you think, no, I think blind playtesting is important. I'm a newer designer. I've not used it, but I really want to try it. I would suggest doing what 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 I what I saw Peter Hayward do, which is go somewhere with a group of people, bring your game out, and say, "Listen, I would like you all to blind play test this game for me." Uh, so I'm just going to uh, 
let you play it. Here's the rules. I'm going to listen. If you get stuck or you completely misinterpret something, I'm going to step in and help you. But otherwise, we're going to go for it, right? Um, and I'll say that the thing that I find as a designer, the single like best feedback I get as a designer is through just allowing other people to play test my game while I don't play it. That to me is the best feedback you're going to get yeah. because you get to be there. You get to watch them. And I know some people I've heard say, well, if the designers, you know, if the designers there, you're not going to get as honest feedback. I, I don't think you need honest feedback from people when it comes to like, did you like the game or did you not like the game? Because you should be able to tell that by watching their, you know, their body language, how they're acting when they play the game. I mean, if you can't tell whether or not they like the game, I feel like you're probably not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that goes to w with you talking about the Grim Forest because there are some games that you you expect, I guess, some sort of physical response from players because when you have a like maybe a thinky game, you'll be you know you you see the person that's you know they look frustrated or something, but maybe in the inside they're having a lot of fun and. And this is just a cool puzzle that I'm trying to figure out, but you can't see that. So maybe games that have sim a simpler set of rules, a game that has maybe some elements that you can physically see uh, and and take feedback from that, then that could be useful Agreed. as well. And But I guess so far I haven't had a design that, that does something like that. May I mean, maybe, because maybe the, the one, the... the Climbing for Coconuts one that I did for that contest. It was fun because I, I actually play tested it at at uh, Origins. And there was, I had a lot of different age groups when it came to that game because it's such a simple game. You're still using the coconuts mechanism of the launchers, the mm -hmm. monkey launchers to launch coconuts. And th there was this lady, man. She was having a, a, a crack at it. She was like, screaming and laughing and you see all the other designers awesome. and people looking at my table and thinking either that game is super fun or <laughs> that both? girl is crazy um but true true that <laughs> but yeah i mean for something like that where it is not such a hassle to learn through because you also got to think about the person that's doing the reading of the rule book because you have unless it's a solo game, you have five or three other players that are learning the game from somebody that doesn't know the game. And that there's a right. lot of miscommunication there. Yeah. So I, I just gonna leave it up to the listeners. If you want to send a, a voicemail, just with your thoughts on, on blind play testing, if you think it's useful outside of, rule books or just as a for a designer that's not self-publishing i want to yeah, hear your, your thoughts on it um all right well hey so we got a uh we got an email and a voicemail here so uh, i'm gonna start by reading the email we can yes. talk about that and then uh i'll play the voicemail and uh we can respond to the voicemail is mostly for you except okay. for some nice stuff for me at the end uh, this is from Andrew Griffin. It says, Hi, all. Some thoughts on the pitch Julio did for this Mosquito game. Apologize for being a bit delayed. Uh, I was tardy in converting my <laughs> recorder uh, apps uh, from Wave and MP3, but it's all good. Uh, he gave me some notes about the About You page I need to update. Uh, but here's the thing he wanted to say. Topic-wise, 
Uh, it's a bit generic, but I'd be interested in knowing the timings of board game design cycle. Uh, when should you get started making art if you plan to self-publish? When should you involve a developer? When should you start conducting blind play testing? Ah, ah. Uh, when should you talk to manu? <laughs> right. When should you talk <laughs> you to manu? Got one answer at least. Uh, how can you pitch a game to publishers if you're not self-publishing? In terms of how much play testing you've done and so on, the whole board game concept, design, and production timeline might be too big of a topic for one thing though. Uh, keep up the good work, Jason. Loving the new format, although I do miss the old format too. And Rob, he just said that to be nice. And uh, yeah. So, yeah. all right. So, there's a lot to tackle there. So uh, on the on the self-publishing part, before yeah, before you do the voicemail uh, on the self-publishing part, you you can probably think uh, talk a little bit more about that because I personally so yeah. Haven't so done um, here's the piece of advice I can give you for that. Um, when should you be talking to um to pub to printers right and things like that? Uh, people are gonna make the game for you. Uh, I think you should be talking to them throughout the whole process. Once you kind of have nailed down what you think the game is going to include yeah. in general, that's a great time to start engaging with them uh, and start getting price quotes and things. Even if you know it might change slightly, uh, I think it's worth getting the quotes earlier. Um, when to get your art done? So this is a really good question. Um, and I, my advice to you is get the art done uh, when you know that it won't need to change, Right. So, like, I've had some art done for months now for two games I'm yeah, working on with my kids. And um, for those games, I had the art done pretty early because I knew what was working for the game and I knew that things wouldn't have to change. And because of that, I was pretty confident that I could get the art done, knowing that, like, final art for, like, the board and stuff like that would have to wait, but that I could do my part ahead of time, get the, the main character art and stuff like that done and paid for and out of the way. Uh, so I think earlier is better on that. Yeah, and I and and I think you could also at least start off with some rough sketches, and and at least something to to work with from the start, and and see how the game, maybe the the graphic design of the game, and the game mechanisms and the player interaction works with a rough sketch of that. And at the same time, maybe you can get some feedback on, on that type of art style. Maybe have one or two full prints of what the arc style may look like but right maybe right. you're having some rough sketches i'm just kind of thinking here I mean, one of the nice things really is it too i mean the, well for me the nice thing was i could split the costs out by doing it piece by piece um but for others who maybe have to raise kickstarter funds to do the yeah. artwork you know you're going to want to try and find an artist where maybe you can strike a deal of you know, half up front half after the kickstarter funds a lot of artists will not do that for you uh, if you have a good relationship with the artist they may um i, I just want to say that from the artist's perspective, it's completely yeah. cool but the w- either way. If the artist says, I'm not comfortable with that, that's okay. You shouldn't be upset about that. That's that's cool. They, they have a right to feel that way. So, yeah. Yeah, yes. and make sure, yes. you know, pay your artists. Don't offer the artist exposure or nothing like that. They, right. Their right. work should be compensated accordingly. They're just as important as you when it comes to, to a board game. On, real quick, on the artist side of things, it's okay if you have a specific budget and you in the in the you don't know if the artist can fit that or not, and that's a deal breaker. Like for instance, so I mentioned that one shot LARP thing I did. I wrote um, once that's published, I'm gonna get a real simple piece of cover art done for like super duper simple cover art, like just one little picture, so that I can actually just have a picture on my website with it to link to it, rather than just like the title card of the thing. Um, 
and I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to an artist and say, Hey, listen, it's a person I know. Uh, they don't usually do art and sell it, but I really like the style of the drawings they put up and stuff just to say, Hey, this is my budget. I've got this much money. I can, if you, if you're interested in doing this one drawing for that much money, I'll PayPal it to you and we're good to go. If that's, if that's not enough or you're not interested, don't hurt feelings because this is my budget. And I respect that that might not be enough for you to want to work for. And that's cool. So you can also position it like that. And I think that's completely okay. At least in my opinion. Um, another thing on what you were talking about, your crowdfunding campaign and having some early sketches for your for your game. I think that is, has been shifting lately to people are expecting you to have a full set of, of art for your game, have the game pretty much done, and then just you're just getting the money to print the game, which is something that, you know, it, it's... It's shifted, of course. Now it's just sometimes it, people feel like it's a pre-order platform and and not really a kickstarting new projects and stuff like that. So so consider that as well, because not a lot of games are funding that you just see uh, rough sketches right, and, right. and just unfinished game design ideas from from the page. You look looking at it. So that's something also to consider. People want to see an investment from your side as much as theirs. If you if you can't invest in the art on of your design to make it look good on the page, then they they're, they're thinking, how can I how right? Can you and that is, me to invest you know, I see it fair on both sides, right? Um, you don't have the money to get all the art done right away. I get that. That's that's a real problem. Um, but I also understand that you know, like for me, like when I back a game, art is at least fifty percent or more of the reason that I back that game, like. It just is. That's what speaks to me. That's what gets me excited about yeah. games. So, like, if you've got a game with some sketches, it could be the best game in the world. Yeah, the I probably am not going to back it. You know what I mean? So, um, so I see it both ways, you know? Yeah. So, uh, as I guess he also asked about uh, playtesting and when is it ready to, to start pitching it to publishers if you are not thinking of self-publishing. Um, I mean that that is really right. it would be up to you and and your playtesting, you know when you you know and you see from the playtesters and their experience if the game is ready to go to the next level of pitching, because if you are playtesting a game and people just keep giving you constructive criticism or your negative feedback from what other people may call it. Um, then, then maybe the game is not ready. Maybe it may be a one-off when somebody just doesn't like that type of game. But if you consistently keep getting negative feedback on the game, then you it is definitely not ready for you to pitch to a publisher. Um, but once you you start getting uh, feedback that not necessarily oh it's fun that kind of thing, you know, people may still when people start getting excited about your game. And maybe start asking, uh, "What's it coming out? Is it going to be Kickstarter? Blah blah blah," or maybe give you ideas of how to improve the design. That you know, maybe something that you've already tried, but they're excited about contributing to your design and that they enjoyed it and it was fun and it played really well. Of course, from your point of view, you want to make sure that that's the case. Uh, then that's, from my point of view, that's maybe when you want to start pitching to publishers. Of course, you got to have your rule book ready right. and all that good stuff. Yes, that's all good advice. So, all right, well, let's listen to this voicemail here real quick, okay? 
Hi, it's Andrew Griffin in the UK. Um, just been listening to episode 378 and just wanted to give back some thoughts on it for Julio in, in terms of the Mosquito game. Um, so what I was thinking was that basically you could have um, a way of assigning the blood tokens that you take out of the bag against certain mosquitoes. So maybe have a, a player board in front of you. I don't know how many mosquitoes you were thinking in, in the scourge, but maybe a 4 by 4 grid with 16 mosquitoes on, something like that. Um, and then as you draw blood tokens out of the bag, um, you would allocate them as a player against a particular mosquito, so each mosquito would eventually be able to have up to one blood token against them. Then as the, uh, the mosquitoes get swatted, the player gets to choose which of the mosquitoes gets swatted. So obviously you'd start with ones with the, the Black Death Plague um, and work your way through that. Um, and that would give the uh, the players a bit of agency, so although they're randomly drawing the cubes, they'd be able to kind of mitigate that a bit and do something about that. Um, so, so yeah, so that was my thoughts, really. Um, other than that, it sounds like a great game, although I'm not sure I'm keen on the theme, but it's certainly unique. Um, yeah, and also, Jason, you're doing a fab job. Um, just wanted to congratulate you on the new format i think it's working really well and i'm really enjoying it okay cheers all bye now well angie thank you very much for the kind words uh that you had to say there uh julio i want to let you uh comment on uh the cool ideas he talked about with uh zancudo zancudo um yeah well first of all thank you <laughs> thank you andrew for for calling in um i mean it's awesome we're, we're reaching people from from another country and and I know Andrew uh, personally. He he followed me early on when I started designing, and he he he's always interesting in, in talking about design. So it's cool to put a voice to a face, I guess. <laughs> right. So uh, for San so for Sankuro, I like the 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 idea of having your own player boards to give players some more agency. And it's funny that he he did mention. You know that the theme is also kind of maybe a little iffy. It's not as, uh, it, while it's unique, it, it may be a little weird. So I was thinking while he was talking about that that maybe where, where you have quirky themes, those usually work for card games, card only games. Think of something like uh, Bonanza. You know, it's a you're doing like right. beans yeah, and yeah, stuff like sure. that. It's it's weird, right? anthropomorphic beans so maybe this sankuro game can be in in a sense uh, a card game where you know your your scourge of mosquitoes is your own personal deck and you maybe have some other cards that are the blood tokens that you're maybe bidding for or something like that so at least and and to his point giving players some more agency by maybe picking cards from their hand from their scourge of mosquito hand and playing it to to get the blood tokens, well, blood cards, I guess. So again, I know I play tested this game um, two years ago and a couple times, and I did uh, rules for it, and it didn't work. So I think uh, some changes are in order, and and that's something, uh, you know, giving players more agency and maybe having your own personal, uh, uh, I guess, mosquitoes that you can control or so they can collect their the blood differently that's something i can work with and maybe have a card only design that way yeah 
for sure yeah but but i i appreciate it andrew and and, and thank you so much for the kind words and I agree. I have also been enjoying the the podcast from you know Jason Katarski and, and Nicole. They've been doing a great job as well, and Jason, of course. Yeah, he's well, he's keeping that it all goes together. Without saying good, so, you know, everybody knows that. Yeah, the glue yeah, that holds it together, the tie that binds, all that jazz. That's me. Yeah, Jason and friends. We we <laughs> are the 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 third. Each one is a turd, I guess. <laughs> A turd of friends. Yeah, yeah. Hey, all right. You need to pitch your game from last time that you were going to pitch. Yeah, yeah. So this game is called Spike. And this is Spike with an exclamation point at the end. So you know it's yeah. good when it's, it has Is it in like all that. caps too? Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's not. Actually, so the reason why I did that is because I searched on Board Game Geek and there was already a game called Spike. And it had all caps. Are you serious? So I had to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Anyway. So this game, it's my sixth design and it's a beach volleyball game. So this is the first time I tried my hand at a, you know, sports related game. And this one is real time. So one of the things with sports games, at least the ones that I played in board games, is that there there isn't that much of a i guess simulation because of course simulating a sport in a board game or card game format is hard and sometimes that people don't want to do that they may might as well just play the game but this is what i tried out with this one so for spike um it was a beach volleyball game where it was a one versus one player or maybe uh two versus one or or two versus two so it would go from two to four. And and if you all don't know, beach volleyball, um, I think this is the case. It, it only has two people. Usually on it's team. two on two, yeah. If um, I'm to believe Top Gun, usually yeah. it's two on two. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So in this game, each player had two decks. One was a defensive deck and one was an attack deck. And, in, and I wanted to try and give that players the urgency of playing volleyball you know volleyball is a game that you have to be very alert you have to be fast and you have to attack and stuff like that For sure so in this one i use dice as the main method of mechanisms where each each team had six dice and if it were you know if it were two and two then it would be three player uh one player would have three dice and the other player would have three dice and the dice had uh faces one through three so each face was on the die twice. Um, yeah, there were D6s. And what you were trying to do in this game is you're rolling the dice uh, and you're assigning the dice to what you want to do in your turn. And the things you can do, like I said, you could use a die for your attack card, for a defensive card, for, to assign to the to the little characters that to move and also to draw more cards so this is all real time in the sense where while one player is doing all this you are planning out um i guess look so okay let me let me see how to how, okay as the attacking player you are uh doing the assigning your dice 
And once you assign your dice, the cards had, uh, there's five types of cards. There was, the, and they correspond to different moves in beach volleyball. You had the, the receive, which is the standard volleyball, you know, put your hands together and take the ball that way. Uh, then you had the set, which is the overhand kind of uh -huh. pass. You had the block. So a block is when you jump in front of the net. You had the dig, which is when you, you know, launch yourself to try and get, catch the ball. And you had, you had something else. I forgot. Oh, oh, of course, the spike. Yeah, I mean, you got to have um, that. Of course, of course. So, so as the attacking player, you would be assigning your dice. The thing is that while you're assigning your dice, once you finish assigning your dice, then you, the the opposing player will start uh, rolling their dice and and assigning their defense which will again be you know assigning dice to the movement of players to the cards and and all that so it's kind of like a once i attack the defensive player starts playing their movement but once they are done then the defensive the next player has to be ready with stop rolling their dice So right. you can't be rolling dice once somebody's done. So that's the whole reason of the urgency. You're planning your attack and defense at the same try and try to allow yourself to have your players enough movement to reach the ball wherever that's it goes. And I, it goes well. I mean, I didn't say this, but there is a little board. It was like a six by 12 uh, grid board. Um, and that's kind of how the characters would move and how the ball would go. Each card would have like a, I guess, a reach. So the dig would have a much better reach and the block would have a wider defensive stance. And whenever you spiked, you can't use a normal uh, set card. So whenever you spike, you have to use specific cards to block. So right. you can use That the dig sense. and your character has to be exactly where the ball will fall or else you'll miss. And of course, the cool thing about it also was that As as the round dragged on, the you would start drawing from your deck, and your deck was probably like a 15-card deck on each one on the attack and defense. You would start drawing miss cards. So you're trying to assign dice where you can't assign to those miss cards because if you do, then your character will automatically miss the, the defense or the attack. I see. So that, that was a cool way of showing that, you know, I'm getting stressed out. Uh, I'm gonna miss this this save or whatever, and and the game very much it was uh, again uh, the first one to get to 11 points. Uh, also, the dice you were using to make the serves, you would change where the character would go and roll your dice, and you would assign the numbers to see how far your your ball would go and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So the the problem with that one was basically there was a lot of counting, counting dice and numbers and a lot of puzzly thinking in such a short time which that brought a lot of stress which is something i i wanted in the design but it, it really wasn't something that p players enjoyed too much even though it was an interesting game where oh okay i'm using the dice as a timer but for the opponent right right so that's uh the, i guess the the game spike yeah beach volleyball and I've, and one uh, one thing cool thing i also had was that your team 
would be it was fantasy based of course so each team was either uh, you know elves or goblins and they would have their own special abilities surrounding movement and attack and stuff like that oh nice 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 i like that <laughs> that's funny yeah yeah but it is one of those designs that you know i, I play tested it a couple times again I, I'm, I'm doing the whole workshopping thing um but but it, it just kind of it, it was lacking definitely uh something of a uh i guess more of an entry-level streamlined design right um so any any thoughts yeah, on it so it's so first full disclosure it's real time which is something i'm terrible at um but uh yeah it, i don't know it feels like something i would have to play to really see what it was like it sounds really clever i mean it Frankly, it sounds like if you were going to make a real-time game, Julio, it sounds like that's what it would be like, and that's a good thing. I mean that in a positive <laughs> way. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, you know, I unfortunately don't think I can have any good feedback other than saying it sounds fun. If I saw that game being demoed, I would certainly try it, um, you know, at a con or something, because it just sounds really interesting. Yeah, and I guess uh, out of all my designs, that's the only one that was sports-related, because... A lot of games have already, you know, sports-wise, has have already been done, and I don't think there's any volleyball or beach volleyball games. Maybe for a good reason, because volleyball isn't really that that popular of a sport. Yeah, now you'll hear a lot of uh, builders just, oh, that's my favorite sport, and and right. stuff like that. But but hey, if anybody has any any feedback on it, if you want to know more, just hit me up. It's a spike. My number six design. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, good, good. Okay. I think uh, you have anything else you want to uh, say tonight here? Um, yeah. Uh, I guess uh, my next episode is going to be in November. So um, at the end of November, I will be at PAX Unplugged. Um, so I'll have a couple of my newer designs there. I'll be playtesting, pitching, because PAX Unplugged is definitely one of those places to go. It's been, I think it's a, as big as Origins yeah, now, I'm, and I really enjoyed it la- that's last That's a time. goal for me next year. So um, I, I know so many people that go, and I've heard only good things about it. So, yeah, no, next year I'm, I'm going to plan on trying yeah. to make that. And and the Unpub tables went live earlier this week. Um, I'm sadly not going to be going to Unpub this year. Next year, yep, I guess. Myself neither, either. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just that they changed it to Memorial Day weekend. It's in May. It's close to Origins. Yeah. Um, it, it, I don't think it was a good move on their part, but hey, they're the I'm, ones uh, organizing. I'm the sure event, they had so. good reasons, uh, but once I yeah. heard that, I was like, no, I don't even. I'm not. I mean, I lost literally all interest in being a part of that because, um, yeah, because it's just a really cruddy weekend. I mean. Uh, it was bad enough that Grand Con was on Labor Day weekend, um, but somehow, at least for me, for Grand Con, it's local, right? Uh, but the idea of like going yeah. on a Memorial Day weekend and like doing playtesting stuff all weekend and being away from my family, no way, no. I mean, I'm not, not even the least bit interested. So, uh, so that was actually good because last year I, I went back and forth about whether or not I should go to Unpub, and this year it made the decision real easy. It was a hard, hard pass. <laughs> Um, another thing, um, I as you all know, last episode, we had some good feedback on it. Uh, it was a pretty heated episode. I was a little maybe salty on, 
on the communication of publishers. So funnily enough, that same week, I had uh, some, I guess, some responses from publishers. And I guess there were like four rejections. So that was uh, fun. But it was a response nonetheless. So I was happy to some Maybe point. they heard the episode I'm and they still... were like, screw that guy. Reject <laughs> Yeah, that, that, shows our, that, that, sh- that shows our reach, man. <laughs> we're getting there. Um, but I'm still waiting on some responses from some other designs. So crossing my fingers, hopefully I'll, I'll get some good responses then. If not, I'll, I'll keep pitching games and, make, and making changes as long as I get some feedback to work on. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, with that, uh, anything uh, from no, you? No, I said my piece earlier, so I think we are good. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go to our website at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can also, oh, that's our email address. You can also check out our website at buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at podcastbtg and at ja slingerland and at hunazaru. Hunazaru. J u n a z a r u. Hunazaru. It sounds so beautiful when you say it. Uh, but anyways, uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook. Uh, please like us on Facebook. Uh, I want to do more with that. Just want more feedback on what builders would like to see. So you can also, of course, call us at 770-TEL-BTG. And uh, we'd appreciate that. So with all of that, we say good night. Building the game. Building the game with Jason's and friends. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Dial 770 Tell BTG. Please don't use the email.